Welcome to the Heart Matters Podcast with your host, Ibn Leon. Join us as we explore the intricacies of spirituality and self-improvement. Gain a fresh perspective on enhancing your spiritual, emotional, and mental well-being through the fusion of spirituality and self-improvement. Enjoy Ibn's engaging conversations with guests from diverse backgrounds. They share unique perspectives on personal growth and holistic health. From spiritual leaders to relationship experts, entrepreneurs to creatives, each episode delivers knowledge and inspiration. Tune in to the Heart Matters podcast for profound conversations and practical advice empowering you to live your best life. Chapter 5 Inspiring Stories Your host, relationship and spiritual life coach Lewis Morris, it is my belief that the vessel, meaning the heart, can only pour out that which it contains. Therefore, it is upon us to place those things that are good and beneficial into the heart in order to emanate them out into the world and attract those things and those people that will enhance our lives. We have another fantastic guest on. As always, this is what we do here. Natasha McCree is here. Natasha is the founder of Love CEO Institute, a personal development company for women. She has a degree in psychology from Grand Canyon University. This is impressive what she's bringing here. As a recovered love addict, Natasha has seen and experienced self-doubting and negative mindset and an overall imbalance in work and life that keeps women from reaching their greatest potential. Through the development of her one woman show, which we are definitely gonna talk about, Evolution of Love of the Love Addict, several years of counseling and serial entrepreneurship, Natasha turned her life around and elevated herself from love addict to love CEO. During a successful national tour of her show, which included audience talkback sessions, she encourages audiences to face their fears and step into their life's purpose by designing the life they want. She founded the Love Institute, the Love CEO Institute. Her industry experience spanning over the last 20 years includes acting in commercials, TV appearances, and award-winning production of several short films. She has directed a one-woman show, a commercial, and a documentary. She also <laughs> won an award for Best Writer for her one-woman show, Welcome, Natasha McCree, to the Yay! Heart Matters, everyone. Yeah, it's good to see you. Yeah, everything all right? Is everything all right? Everything is great. I'm excited. Natasha McCray, like Cray Cray. Natasha I'm not McCray? Cray Cray. Yes. Excellent. Okay, excellent. <laughs> okay, so Natasha, let's talk about the one woman show first, because I, I mentioned this to you before we came on the air, that mm -hmm. I went on the back of the website and watched the little snippet that you put there and it was impressive why did you why did you write this first of all 
Why did you write? Writing is therapy and it was definitely a form of drama therapy. And when I moved to Los Angeles to pursue acting, just before I moved, I knew I always wanted to encourage and empower women. That was a calling that I had. And I had my kid when I was 19. I was pregnant when I got married. I didn't value myself. I had a very low self-esteem. And I knew that I wanted to be able to use my life and the story of my life to help encourage and empower people. So as therapy and as documentation of this journey that I was on, I started writing and I went to therapy and my therapist had me journaling. And then as an actor, I took a one woman show class and I started writing monologues, which were the stories of my life and the things that I went through. And fast forward, I did that for 10 years, just randomly writing. And I had sent my kid off to college. I took a two-year break and God, I was like, come on, God, we about to get back in this game. And God was like, yeah, let's do it. And so I had to ask the question of how, how do I want to get back into acting? And I kept getting the word to do your one woman show. And I'm like, I don't have a show. What are you talking about? And God was like, yeah, you do. So I went to all those monologues one day, my journals, and just put them on my living room floor. And when I put them on my living room floor, it was like that beautiful mind, like the words coming off the page. It was crazy to see that, oh my gosh, this woman is a love addict. Oh my goodness, that is me. I'm a love addict. And so I began to put those together and it was an actual show. It was a show. And mm. that's where I, I decided to share that. Okay, well, what, oh, let's talk about the monologue class first, because I ain't never, I've never even heard of this here. I've never even heard of a monologue class. What, what is that? What is that about? What does that look well, like? It was really about writing. So the one woman show class that I took, it was very much therapy. The woman at, would ask us questions about pivotal moments in our life, um, life changes, moments that were happy and moments that may have been sad or very, um, those, those moments where you knew you were making a shift or a pivot in life. And so when I did that, it showed me <laughs> one moment. We <laughs> anyway, so when I did the writing my monologues and journaling, I realized that there was a lot that I needed to excavate and a lot that I needed to speak to my therapist about. And it was very much an opportunity to get it out. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm writing a one woman show, but this was very much therapy. This was very much therapy. Okay. All right, now we, I want to talk about this because unfortunately, especially in uh, the African-American community, you know, therapy has a negative connotation. You know, mm -hmm. and I think it goes mm -hmm. back. I think it goes back to uh, the old saying that, you know, whatever happens, you know, in the house stays in the house, you know, and this type of thing. You know, and some other issues, you know, because, uh, you know, we equated it, you know, when I was growing up that if you're going to therapy, you're crazy, 
you know? Yeah. So uh, could you just could you speak, you know, because, you know, I have, you know, I have therapists of my own, you know, because I, you know, I need to talk to somebody. Yeah. So, you know, so could you speak to the people about the importance of getting the help if you need it? It's so important. You made a statement. Whatever happens in the house stays in the house, stays in your house, stays in your physical body if you do not get it out. And if it stays in your physical body and you are going to wonder why there are certain ailments that happen, you are going to have to look at your life and decide that I want to make this change. And so the importance of therapy is that you're able to stop generational curses. You're able to stop that epigenetics. You're able to design the life you want because a lot of us are just living our lives to based on our past experiences. We're living our lives and responding to life based on what our parents have gone through, based on what our mamas are going through. We've lived our lives um, based on that. So what therapy does is give you an opportunity to clean the slate, um, to look at the things that might be holding you back, to make the decisions that you are going to move on and move past what uh, society has been trying to convince you to do. Um, one, one moment. That doesn't happen and we're in an Airbnb, so I don't have my usual niceties around me. <laughs> um, so when you decide to do therapy, sometimes you're going to make that decision intentionally and sometimes you're going to have to hit rock bottom to make that that choice to go to therapy. But it is an opportunity for you to change the trajectory of your life uh, in, the, in a good way. Um, you have to talk to people. You have to get it out of your vessel. You have to get it out because if you do not talk about it and you do not address it, you are going to pass that down from generation to generation. Mm. And it has to be a discussion. Okay. All right. So this, this brings me to my segue. You know, how did, how did you find out that you were a love addict? <laughs> therapy. <laughs> you know, I went to therapy and I will never forget. It was a series of classes um, that we went through. I think it was 20 of them. And we got to this one class one day and, and she's describing, if you're a love, you might be a love addict if, and they just started listing all of these, these things. And I was, my eyes just got <laughs> like the size of saucers going, oh my God, that's me. Where you don't let anyone make mistakes where you feel like you can have a relationship in one point one. I always call it 1.5 where we see that on television, the romance where we're like, Oh, the person got married, got divorced, dated, had, you know, had all these wonderful things happen, had a breakup, got back together all in an hour and a half. And I think that we expect our lives to look like that because of what society has fed us. And so when I went to this, went to therapy and I was in this group session, I finally came to understand that I was a love addict. I was always looking for that romanticized version. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with romance because I love a little romance, but I was always looking for that romanticized version of interaction, you know, and um, choosing 
people based on that, not based on their character. And moving along faster just because someone showed up in a certain way or didn't show up in some way, not using my words, not using my words, not having boundaries and wanting to jump from one heightened endorphin rushed to the next. That's where I was. And therapy is what made me realize that. And that's what made me start investigating what is love really. That's where I was able to de develop the love intelligence method because I constantly was like, okay, what is this love? Scientifically, what is love? Biblically, what is love? And uncovered okay, well, that and researched that. What did you find? Oh my goodness. Yes, because honey. I'm, I'm dear, wait, wait a minute, because I've been investigating this thing for, <laughs> for a yes. long time. What did, what did you find? Well, over the years with my research and coaching clients, I developed the love intelligence method, which is very similar to emotional intelligence. It's like a uh, array of characteristics that allow you to be in a space to receive, recognize, and give love. And the more I searched, you know, that scripture, first Corinthians that everybody says at, at, at uh, the weddings, love is patience, love is kind, love is this and that. And you're not really listening to it. And it sounds cute and pretty. I went there because I was like, okay, this says love. So what I did one day is I stopped and said, okay, what is the description of this? And I took each definition and then went to the Webster dictionary. I went to the Webster. I was like, let's put a face on this thing because most of the time love is this thing that's not tangible or it's out in the ether somewhere, you know, but it is a very real physical thing. And so I defined these characteristics from the Webster dictionary. Let's go into left brain here because right because love can be right brain uh, most of the time, but love can also is also left brain. So I defined that. And then when I looked at those definitions, I asked the question, because I believe finding true authentic love is really finding love with yourself first. So I asked that question, how are you loving yourself? How are you being patient with yourself? How are you honoring yourself? And when I ask that question, a lot of times we're thinking, how can I do these things? But I also believe that we're born with love intelligence and you do that for yourself as a child. As a child, you recognize your needs. As an infant, you know you're hungry. You speak up for yourself because you can empathize with yourself. You have compassion for yourself. So you cry and ask for what you need and you receive it. You don't be like, well, you gave me the bottle too late. I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that, so, that doesn't happen. Yeah, that doesn't happen. You receive. And so if we go back to awakening that within ourselves, then we're able to um, really enjoy the fullness of what we were put on this planet to do, which is love and be loved. And if we know that we are love and we're generating that for ourselves, then you become a magnet. You become a magnet for that. Okay. All right, let's talk about where, where did this epiphany come from for the Love CEO Institute? 
Oh when my gosh. So when did you get this? Love CEO Institute. I was sitting in my one woman show because I do my one woman show. I was doing the show in theaters and I was also doing them in lounges or let's say nightclubs before the club would open. And I was sitting this particular time in the nightclub and I would always allow people to ask questions after the show. And I thought the questions were going to be, how did you write your show? How did you direct it? Tell us about all these wonderful things. But the questions that came in were very much group therapy. The questions were, how do I love again? How do I forgive myself for that bad choice? How do I get past my uh, uh, trauma from, from childhood? How do I move beyond these, these experiences and stop perpetuating these, the, the life that I've had before? How do I redesign this world? And so I would come home and there would still be like emails from people. So I'd be responding and sending emails. And I felt like, you know what? I went to therapy. I did some work. Let me just share what I did. And so that's where Love CEO Institute came from, was for me sharing what I did to reignite that love that I had for myself. At, at the time when I started Love CEO Institute, there was not the love intelligence method. That came from um, over the years of coaching and gr doing group therapy and, well, group sessions, because I'm not a therapist, and then also the learning and the the challenges that I've had over the years. Hmm. All right. So why did they start why did they start asking you these questions? It was it because of what you what you were giving out in a evolution of a love addict, the, the yeah. one woman show? Was it because of that? Yeah, because in the show, I walk people through this internal dialogue of where I was. You get to see all my mistakes, my silly ways of thinking, which at the time you don't think they're silly. It's just, you know, you defending these real life quote, quote experiences you've had. You're defending them and making them feel like reality today. And I walked people through this entire journey very authentic where I'm even making fun of myself journey to where I am now, which is still on a journey, but they were able to see she was here and now she is here. And they wanted to know how did I get from point A to point B? And so that's what made people start to ask questions. I don't profess to be a guru and have every answer, but I know that I've been on this journey and there's some people who I've been on the journey longer than. And so that's who I can help, you know? How long is the show? The show is 62 minutes. Oh, it is a roller coaster ride. It's a 62 minute show. <laughs> okay, so you went, you went on you went on a nationwide tour with this with this show. Yes, yes, I took. Are you still tour. doing it? I will still do the show if someone wants to produce me doing the show. The first um, beginning of the show I produced, so it's me finding the theater, me deciding what cities I wanted to go to, and then the last time I did it was in two thousand. 18 in Jamaica, Queens. I had met someone when I first did the show in 2012 and they were like, whenever I'm on the board somewhere, I'm bringing you to, to do this. And so that was the last time I did it, um, was I was taken to New York. I was flown to New York to do my show there. Hmm. So I'm okay, open. So, yes. Right, so where's the book? 
Oh, I have Evolution of a Love Addict. So the book, I, over the years, wrote a lot of poetry in my journal. They were thoughts. And sometimes I was writing, <laughs> I go and read the poem and I'm like, I don't know who I was writing about. Talking about being in love and this and your eyes and describing a situation. And I could not remember who these people were. And that is the craziest thing. That was the love addict, like the love addict in me. It was just after every date, everything was just like heightened. It was exciting. He could be the one. And I couldn't tell you who I was writing about. So what I did, I couldn't put every single piece of poetry in my one person show. That would become a different kind of show. But what I ended up doing was taking um, my poems for years and putting them into a book. And at the end of the book, there are some questions and a guideline for how you can ask yourself these questions to journey into the next phase of your life. But the book is so beautiful because you hear the journey through poetry mm. and through journal entries. So you get a real insight into the mind of a love addict. Okay. Yeah. So the, the book is the same name as the play. Yeah, the book's the same name. Uh, Evolution of a Love Addict, A Love Affair Between the Pages is the name of the book. <laughs> where, are you coming up with the, where are you coming up with these titles and everything? Why are you bringing these titles like that? I don't know. I'm not sure. It's like crazy when I think about, you know, you get the download. I think we we sit down and if you're a creative you're, you're sitting sometimes to do something and you start getting all these downloads. I know you got it. I can tell you're a creative. Yeah. You can't act like that don't happen. I know you I do. like to write. I love to write. Yeah. I love writing. Yeah. I got, I got my own blog and everything, but. I know. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I love writing. Uh, so when you started the company, what, what was the process like? You know, because I've been doing this thing for three years yet and, and I'm still like, I'm still confused. Yeah. 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 One of the things, and I just discovered this this year. So it's been, I started in 2015 is when I had my first client, I believe. Um, and what I did is I created a course, which was um, loving yourself to love. So it was getting back, getting off the hamster wheel and getting back to yourself. So I started with that. It was just simple. I wanted, and at that point it was free. Um, now knowing what I know now, I definitely would charge for it. it. I charge for it now, but it was free. And I had all these women come into this and join a group. And I taught them what love is and how to get back connected to themselves. So that's how I started. And there, I saw that there was a need. And then I knew that I liked seeing a woman's journey and I coach men now too, but the main focus then was people who experienced life like me. And I loved seeing that journey. So I offered private coaching. Um, and I just put it out there. I did everything organic when I first started. I didn't do um, Facebook ads or anything like that, which I highly recommend now because it's, you get a lot more, um, more faces or hands or eyes on your product or what you need to tell the world on your message. And so after that, I started hiring coaches. I hired coaches. I spent so thousands and thousands of dollars on coaches and I would do it again to this day. Um, however, about a year ago, 
I finally woke up and said, you know, you, you've hired enough coaches. It's, it's time for this implementation. It's time for you to push pause. And I found myself doing that over the years is I would hire a coach for what I needed at the time. I hired a coach to teach me how to create a course. And then I hired a coach to teach me how to do marketing. And then I hired a coach to teach me about copywriting and messaging and storytelling. And then the last big, probably my biggest ticket coaching was um, I hired a coach to walk me through really owning a business, really being a CEO. Because I think when I first started, I had an entrepreneur, solopreneur mindset. And that's really not me. I do several other things. I'm very much a CEO. You have to learn how to delegate. You want to learn how to articulate your bigger message to your team. You want to be able to inspire your team to move forward without you. You can go take a two, three week break and you're good. Um, so it's, it's really important to stay true to who you are. And it's really important to understand that you have everything you need. You have everything you need. Because if I were to look back at the business owner, you know, six years ago for myself, it would be, you have everything you need. There isn't a guru who's going to take you to the next level. Because the common denominator for every single coaching program you get in is you. Mm. And yeah. Okay. So, All right. So I took uh, in 2021, I took a personality assessment. Mm. That's good. With, <laughs> yeah, with, this, with these uh, women, with this woman and this man, they created this personality assessment. And they gave it to me. And then I got on a Zoom call with them once they read my results. Mm -hmm. And they peeled me like a banana. Wow. They really did. I still haven't. I don't even I don't even like looking at it no more. <laughs> because you know, it's too, you know. And one of the things that they found is is that. I have a problem selling. Mm. I have a I have a, a, a an emotional and psychological issue with selling. I intuitively I feel you on that because when I looked at your I was listening, I read your blog and listening to your podcast and the value you're giving. And then I looked at the cost of your services. <laughs> I have a problem selling. And I was like, folks need to get in now because the rates going to go up. Yeah, because the value so, is there. The value is I, there. What can I do about that? What what can I do to like reshape my thinking about what I'm bringing to the table? It's really important to identify your deepest relationship to money. I don't know if you've ever done that where, and, and some people have, where they sit down and they start asking the questions, what's my earliest experience with money? What were the negative things I learned about money? 
and then really counteracting them with truth because I have an exercise called neg negative thoughts, positive truths. And a lot of times the negative thoughts come from past experiences, but then we make the past experience, the current experience because we're holding on to it. And so how do we get out of holding on to the past experience is connecting that negative thought, letting that negative thought, not connecting, let me rephrase that, not connecting, letting that negative thought lead you to a positive truth. Um, and then you have to do some research. So a negative thought I had was successful women can't have successful relationships. I've always thought that. Um, then I went to therapy and my therapist was like, you're gonna have to reframe that. So let's look into what's connected to that thought. And I started looking at what society was saying. I started looking at what some people in my life have said over the years. And then I began to identify women that were out there who were baller shot callers and had amazing relationships. And I thought that's who I need to focus on because you have, right? So I, I had to start focusing I know on that. Of them. Matter of fact, yeah. I'm friends with a lot of them. Yeah. And that wasn't me 20 years. This was what were, you know, 2003 when I was in therapy. So it was really important for me to hold on to that because we get to keep what we defend. And oftentimes we're defending a statistic, which has another side to a statistic. Every statistic has two sides. So if it's deciding that I need to charge more. It's first excavating why you are not. What is your idea of value? Who has said what you're doing isn't worth it? How have you judged the, the um, job change? And if you've judged that from yourself, how do you reframe that? There are people out there who are doing what I'm doing and charging more. Um, the Someone has sent you a message that said, yo, I would have paid thousands of dollars for this. Thank you so much. Um, you know, it's really holding on to that. It's holding on to the truth opposed to the negative thought. And, it, but it's excavating. And a lot of times we get into this, uh, I'm going to throw this word out there, toxic positivity, where we feel like we can't look at the negativity. So then we never excavate the things that need to be dug up and thrown out. And so I would encourage, you know, that I would want to know, do you remember your, your first experiences with this world? What have people said to you about this world? What do you mean and about I say money? this world, what do you mean about about, money? I mean about, I mean about the work that you are doing. Yes. About money, but I want to get specific about the work that oh, you well, are doing. Understand something. This, this started when I was 13. You know, people, my peers would ask me relationship questions in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know why, you know, maybe because, you know, maybe because I was the only boy with four sisters. I don't know what their reason was. All I know is that I had a gift, you know, and I still, I have a gift, right? You know, God has yeah. given me a gift, you know what I'm saying? Yes. So they would ask me these questions, like, you know, my boyfriend's not spending enough time with me. How do I, you know, get him to spend time with me? You know, uh, I like this girl. What should I say to her? Matter of fact, I remember one of my early memories. I was hanging out with this guy and he was at the house and he had one of those intercoms on his phone. Mm -hmm. And he would talk to girls on the phone and he would let me hear it. You but were Cyrano. He, he didn't know. He didn't know what to say. 
So when the, when, yeah. the, when I would hear what the girl would say, right? He would say, and I would say, Dude. I would say, just say this like that. And then he would say it and he would wind up getting the girl. Do you believe you should be highly paid for your gifts? Or do you believe that you should give your gifts away I, for free? I, see, that's, that's, the, that's the problem. <laughs> no, I want to ask. I just want to ask. When, you, when someone says the term gift, God-given gift, right. do you believe that there should be cash exchange for it? Or do you believe your God-given gifts should be given away for free? No, because I, I want to make a living doing what I love. I know, but what's your deepest belief about people and their gifts? Oh, you mean not not myself, but others? Yeah, just in general. What's your belief yeah, about people, the gift? If, if people want, you know, if people want to uh, use their gift to make a living, I'm all for it. I think it's I think it's a great thing to do. You you know, yeah. you should be compensated for it. You know, Can if, you imagine uh, if the world, you, every person used their gift to make a living? How beautiful and happy people would be. <laughs> wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. We get a little deep. <laughs> no, that's like people would, the world would be so happier. There's so many people who have these amazing gifts and they're not making a living doing them. They're miserable driving to a job they hate. Okay, well, look, you know, I was just, I was just talking to my sister, you know, about one mm -hmm. of my nephews who actually fits into this mold. However, he, he doesn't. Well, I don't know. I, I won't say that. I'm not saying that he doesn't hate what he's doing. It's just that he's not motivated enough to do something different. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of us are motivated either by hardcore pain. Most of most of us are motivated by pain versus um, being motivated to run towards pleasure. That's what I coach my clients to do. How can you run towards pleasure? Um, and then your life looks a little different when you respond to life based on how pleasurable an experience can be. Hmm. Okay. Well, I. Well, when did you when did you know that you had this gift? When did you know? Was, well, was it when you were younger or after you went to therapy and, you know, and did the work? When did, you, was, when did you know? It was when I was younger. I was that person who was always giving people advice. But also in high school, I took a psychology class and I became a peer counselor. Um, and I ran away from it because at the time I didn't understand that I was an empath. So I feel everything. <laughs> And so I ran away from that. I didn't know how to manage that. I didn't have an outlet. I didn't understand the gift and those tools. And so I just knew I was like, I love psychology, but I can't do it. I don't want to be listening to what these people going through because then I start feeling bad half the day. I just couldn't. I just I was like, mm -mm. and that was this 15 year old, you know, me talking. But I always stuck with psychology, even moving into acting. Um, I got into acting at the recommendation of a psychology teacher. And um, with acting, I use a lot of psychology. And so early on, I knew that I love the way the brain works. I used to read research papers and books on the brain. I love the way the brain works. Mm -hmm. And I love the concept and the idea of love. 
And so that's where I combine the two love CEO, like you got the right brain and the left brain can, you know, come together and create this beautiful space. Mm. Um, It creates a beautiful space when you can merge the two. When you blend the two together, when you realize that the heart and the brain are connected. Everyone, okay, wants well, to. you know, I already, I know that. Yeah, you know, I know you know because you've yeah. been teaching. I know, I know that. Yeah, I already know that. Okay, now listen, uh, Natasha. I had this woman on this writer. She writes on Medium with me. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Her name is a uh, Shannon Vaughn. Mm-hmm. So I had her on a couple of weeks ago. I invited her on the show because she wrote an article on Medium called uh, the real re- the real reason men are single. Ooh. And it's not from women raising their standards. So when I read this article that she wrote, I had to have her on the show to talk about why she wrote it and and I had I had some problems with it. Okay, so tell me, <laughs> tell me, tell me. <laughs> I took, you know, I took you know, I took issue with some statements that she made in the article. You know, mm-hmm. so I asked her about this article. I don't know if you listened to this podcast episode, but it was a couple, I think it was about I didn't listen to that ago. one. Yeah, her name's Samantha Vaughn. Okay, I'll check Fantastic it out. article, fantastic writer. So I just want to read you a little snippet of what she wrote and ask you about it. Yeah. So she says, um, the presumption of there being a lack of good women in the world that is leading men to focus more on themselves is sad and disheartening. One, it's not true. Two, the lack of insight stems from ignorance or just a simple not knowing to put in a more pleasant term. Women are everywhere. Men are everywhere. So there has to be some good somewhere, right? It begs the question, of what is good. What do these men mean when they say there's a shortage of good women? Good by definition, morally excellent, virtuous, righteous, pious. Take it a step further. Let's look at the definition of virtuous. Conforming to moral and ethical principles. All right. So good is a person who lives by some type of moral and ethical code. I have a hunch this is not what defines a woman as good in the eyes of most men. Well, That's all I want. I, I just want you to comment on that part right there. I love the fact that she has a stance and an opinion. Um, but I'm never one to make, and I'm not saying this is what she's doing, but to have blanket statements. Like I don't take words and everyone has different definitions. And I think, and I don't know what's in someone's head when they said, I'm looking for a good woman. You line up a hundred men or a hundred women saying, I'm looking for a good partner. Their good is going to be a little different. What they mean by that, I would move past what's the word good because what's good for you may not be good for someone else. 
And I don't really, I don't personally operate in absolutes in that way because I believe that we are fluid. Um, so when I think about good, I, I think I one feel sorry for the man or woman that says there aren't any good blank left because like I said earlier, you get to keep what you defend. And then I would, I definitely beg to differ because if you went down to any wedding expo, you're going to see hundreds of people who look like you getting married and happy. So you have to redefine how you see the world and you got to go to therapy people so that you can move past saying my life is going to be the same as it always has. But when you say there are no good men, there are no good women, you're saying my life is always going to suck without having a partner. If, if you want to be in a relationship and you're stating, if those words are coming out of your mouth and you want to be in a relationship, you are going against what God and the universe have for you by using those terms, you need to just admit you've had some challenges. You've had some bad experiences. We need to lick our wounds. We need to go to therapy. We need to get over it, get through it so that we don't make blanket statements about anyone. Men say this, men say that, women say this, women say that. There are no good men, there are no good women. We need to reconsider how we make blanket statements about things because you will continue to get that. Yeah, That's well, unfortunately, the... unfortunately, one of the reasons, uh, one of the reasons I wanted on the show because I've heard regularly people make these statements. Well, Men and that's, women. yeah, and I have too, and we need therapy. And we need to realize that there are another, there are other sides to every statistic. And I want to have compassion for someone who makes that statement because I can only imagine their heart and how hurt they are mm -hmm. to make that kind of statement. I can only imagine how hurt someone must be to say that. Okay, and that's well, sad. I'm a, okay, I'm a, uh, I'm a, in here. I saw uh, I saw a reel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Go on and tell me what you where got. guy was where guy said on his reel. He said, um, and you know how they do the double, like one guy, mm -hmm. one person's on this side, other. So the guy says, um, uh, um, a real man. This is what he says. Doesn't want an alpha female. Right. Nah, yeah. So the other guy, the other guy says, he says, who, who hurt you? Yeah. What was her name? Yes. Was it mother? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was, it might've been, I don't I, know this I, story, I, I but fell out when he said and, that I was and, no more good. And I that like, sounds wow. amazing. I would, I would have loved that because when people are making statements, it's, it's coming from a place of hurt and, the, and the, they might argue you down, but I send love and compassion to anyone who makes blanket statements because mm. there's something they're going through. 
All right, Natasha, what you got coming up? Tell us what you got come on, coming up here. Hey, I'm so excited. I am a serial entrepreneur. I'm very multi-passionate, and I'm starting a whiskey label with my business partner, Sheila Jackson. It's called Jackson McRae. I'm very excited about the whiskey label. And then I have taken Love CEO Institute and am developing an app for Love CEO Institute because there are a lot of things that I walk my clients through to get through the day-to-day, especially when it comes to self-care. Because the only way you're really going to design the life that you want is you can get out of that hamster wheel of being in survival mode. Survival mode makes those blanket statements. Thriving mode makes statements about what you want your life to look like. And in order to get out of that, there are some basic principles that I've taught over the years that are short snippets um, into your life that you can use in this Love CEO app. So you'll learn how to um, have a greater sense of self-care, learn how to awaken that love intelligence and have self-love so you can attract more love into your life and so you can design the life that you really want. And I'm, I'm really excited about those two things right now. Okay, Natasha. All right. Well, I well, we finally got together. You know, we had a lot of glitches and you know, schedules, you know, but we finally got it together. I appreciate you coming on. It was an absolute pleasure uh meeting you and talking with you. You know, and uh when you when you put out something new, when you get that app together, then come on back up here and you know, talk about that piece. I sure will. Thank you. Natasha, it's good seeing you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Heart Matters Podcast for relationship, spiritual coaching, and resources. Go to the Heart Matters brand link tree, which is linktr.ee slash L-O-U-I-S. M-O-R-R-I-S. That's link T-R dot E-E slash L-O-U-I-S M-O-R-R-I-S. And we will see you again soon.